Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Indeed, today is the day. Today's the day the Lord has made. It is Tasty Tuesday on Mornings with Carmen. Uh, Thank you for those of you who have uh, communicated on our text line. You can always do that at 877-933-2484. You can always communicate with us. Thank you to those of you who have communicated this morning that Tasty Tuesday made you uh, laugh. Thank you to those of you who uh, have shared with me some thoughts and ideas related to Tasty Tuesday. Um, And thank you to the person who asked, you know, hey, where are some good news stories that I could use to help others taste and see that the Lord is good? What a great question. So one of the websites that I like to visit um, for what I will describe as the inspiring stories of the day, it's not all bad news out there. There is good news, good people The good people of God are up to good every single day. And so what's the good they're up to? You know, I like to call this goss up, you know, like, right? How can we tell the good news stories? What what are the goss up stories of the day? Not just the bad news stories that are out there in the headlines. So I like a website called inspiremore, inspiremore.com. I also like faithwire, faithwire faithwire.com. But let me just scan the headlines. I literally have not looked yet today. So here at inspiremore.com, if you were... Let's just say, looking for some inspiration this morning, there's at the very head, the very head of it, they say, start your day with a smile um, and get your, you know, inbox filled with good news stories of the day. So here, let's see, the top thing on, oh, this is, seems very appropriate since um, we have uh, next up Christian Medical and Dental Association uh, representative here with us. The, the top story today at Inspire inspiremore.com. The top story today is dentist performs 1,500 free surgeries to give people in poverty amazing new smiles. So that is the lead story today on inspiremore.com. So let me just now go back to the homepage. They have all kinds, by the way, of um, like there's, there's, you could just click on make me smile or you could click on wellness or adventure or innovation, love, talents, parenting, blah, blah, blah. So there's like all kinds of subcategories here. Um, uh, there is um, there is a story about, um, let's see, what you're doing is more than good enough. Mama, what you're doing is great. It's just an encouragement to moms out there. There is um, a, a cause of the month every month on here, um, Girls Embracing Mothers, which is GEM, which is uh, an effort to end the cycle of incarceration. That is this month's um, effort at inspiremore.com. Um, and then I love, this, there's a story here about a, a couple, you may have heard of this on social media a while back. There was a couple who, um, he proposed to her at KFC and they got really like horrendously mocked about it on social media. Well, there's been a tremendous outpouring of love and gifts to them um, and encouragement to them and a celebration of, you know, the fact that they're they're going to be married. And so anyway, there's there, there are wonderful redemptive stories 
at inspiremore.com. If you're just looking for a place to be fed in a way that's a little bit different than maybe what the mainstream media is dishing up every day. And so on this Tasty Tuesday, we're talking about how do we taste and see that the Lord is good? Well, some of that is knowing the good news stories of the day. And so on faithwire.com, if you were to pop over there, you would read a story about a national pro-life group that has helped a single Colorado mom finish college. Uh, And so being pro-life is not just about, you know, those of us who are reborn in Christ um, being advocates for the preborn, but also then how are we caring for those who make the choice for life? How are we walking with them into a life of flourishing? So good news stories at inspiremore.com and faithwire.com to help us taste and see that the Lord is good in order that we might have good news stories to tell to others. Up next, Dr. Brett Nick from the Christian Medical and Dental Association. He and I will look at some of the headlines of the day and do so from a Christian worldview. That's up next. It's about your health, so stay tuned. All right, joining me now, Dr. Brett Nick from the Christian Medical and Dental Association. He is an ER doctor. Brett, welcome back. Hey, top of the morning, Carmen. How are you today? Top of the morning. It's Tasty Tuesday. I don't know if you're aware of that yet. I have declared it as such. I don't really know that I have the authority to declare something, but I am declaring it Tasty Tuesday. Today's the day we're going to taste and see that the Lord is good. And we are going to live in such a way that others might taste and see that the Lord is good. So... I, I expect hey, it to be tasty. That's absolutely true. And I tell you, it doesn't matter whether it's raining or not. It's our job to be the light in the world. So uh, bring it on. Amen. Amen. Okay. Um, Pediatric Endocrinology Society on puberty blockers. This probably does not, this is really not a very taste and taste and see story. Um, so let's, um, first of all, let's talk about this big word, in, endocrinology. Let's talk about pediatric endocrinology, and then let's talk about puberty blockers and why we are having this conversation in America today. Absolutely. I tell you, you we face incredible challenges every day, whether it be the conversation we've had before related to drug abuse and the the substance challenges that we face in society. One of the ones that comes front and center, especially when it is an area of polarization in our society, are the issues around uh, transgender uh, and gender bias discussions and dialogue in that space. And the uh, article that was published on the 29th of October from the Endocrine Society, so the society that looks at the hormones and things in your body that navigate not just your metabolism, but how your body develops over time, uh, their society clinical practice guidelines came out with a fairly profound statement uh, earlier, uh, last, or at the end of last month, that simply stated uh, that they believe the standard um, should change, and that they claim that a transgender child uh, that would receive uh, surgical or hormone treatment uh, does not reflect the reality of medical practice. And their statement is that it's going forward. And this society is interesting. The endocrine society's clinical practice process, they set the standard for care uh, as it relates to endocrine and endocrine uh, adjustments. So what does that mean? Maybe somebody needs hormone replacement therapy. Maybe somebody needs diabetic management, the things in the body that are related to those organ systems. And what they basically said is, hey, we recommend avoiding hormone therapy for transgender children prior to puberty. And they actually go in and there's some dialogue as well that says, really, it probably should wait until the, the point at which uh, they are capable of making a decision themselves, which means age 18. Um, but again, anytime something in this area goes up, it's a highly contentious uh, 
point in society. And when you look at the dialogue around this, um, this again uh, caused a substantial amount of uh, dialogue as well as uh, a concern that has gone back towards this society for stating that, hey, we probably should not be giving these medications to youth that are still trying to figure out who they are, what they were made to be, uh, and what that looks like in time. Okay, so let's talk about the decision-making um, process in terms of the care of a child. I think one of the yeah. questions that many of us have is who is making these decisions? How are those decisions being made? And what kind of doctor would do such a thing? Yeah, it's very difficult. You know, when you look at the process as it relates to it, we know that as children grow up um, and as they go through adolescence, their bodies are changing and going through tremendous transformations. And but that's natural, and therefore it, it's normal, right? I mean, like, that, I'm puberty is not a disease. No, it's not a disease. It's a stepwise process that comes to identify who you are. And we are all made uniquely in God's image, but at the same time, each one of us has different levels of hormones, different processes, different ways that we think. We have different past experiences that direct how we see things in the world and the direction by which we go. And the challenge that we see, though, is that many times now um, children are being influenced to make decisions that they really may not understand at all. At the same time, adults sometimes will actually put processes in place for these ones. And I make the comment sometimes not infrequently, which is within our country, you have to be 18 before you can actually fight for your own country and make that decision yourself. It's really difficult to assume that a child who's going through adolescence has the capacity for themselves to decide that th what their, their biology states is different than, than uh, the direction that they should be going. And a lot of it is a thought process that sometimes is propagated. It's very, very challenging. Um, one of the things that you noted as well is simply this, that uh, their guidelines state that both children and adults should be encouraged. If somebody is, is struggling with, with the, the concepts around being trans transgender or not, that rather than going through a process by which you're taking medications that could lead to sterility for the rest of their life, to go through this gender dialogue and understand what this is, but at the same time, seek mental health care throughout the process because there's a lot of concern in this space, uh, especially as society uh, embraces the dialogue and the challenges that are facing it. Which could lead us into a conversation about conscience protection uh, for doctors and other people in, uh, in, in healthcare professions related to people who are experiencing what I am going to continue to describe as uh, gender dysphoria, they have um, they have a misunderstanding of their own bodies and the relationship to their own bodies. Um, we we have some cases uh, now um, moving through the court system in terms of the conscious protection of doctors and other healthcare professionals. Um, maybe we won't touch on that today, Brett, but we should probably come back to that at some point. Absolutely, and I think the bottom line as it relates to it is we as Christians and those even in the medical society, uh, whether a faith based or not have to understand that uh, we have to recognize that there is not just a physical presence of each of our patients, uh, but a, a, a mental and a spiritual one uh, that people challenge with. And it's our job as physicians to go ahead and make sure that we embrace all those aspects, because, of course, that is the foundation to good health. Okay, so I want to direct people who are interested in the conversation about um, recent court rulings endangering conscience protections for people in the healthcare industry, including doctors, you can check out cmda.org. That's the Christian Medical and Dental Association, cmda.org. And the news release is right there at the top of the page. Um, Dr. Brett Nick and I are going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to give uh, everybody an update on what the CDC thinks is causing these vaping injuries and deaths across the country. 
Um, and we're just going to talk about how to protect um, ourselves and then also talk with our young people um, about what they put in their bodies, what they inhale into their lungs. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Continuing my conversation with Dr. Brett Nick from the Christian Medical and Dental Association, you can find them at cmda.org. If you are a, um, a healthcare professional of any of any variety, um, if you are a student preparing, thinking about, considering uh, healthcare in any in any of its forms, um, this is an organization with which you need to be familiar and a website that you need to be um, visiting. CMDA Christian Medical and Dental Association, cmda.org. Brett, let's talk about what the CDC thinks they have discovered in terms of the reason behind these vaping injuries and deaths uh, across the country. Yes, they announced recently uh, an investigation related to these ongoing vaping-related lung injuries that they identified a potential chemical, uh, a vitamin E acetate, as they call it, that may be the underlying issue. And briefly what it is, vitamin E acetate is found in lots of different foods and supplements and creams but it's typically something that is topical or can occasionally be uh, swallowed. But they believe that as they're finding it, it actually from an inhalation or when you breathe it in perspective, that this actually may be something that's interfering with normal lung function and causing these issues that we have now as a medical society dubbed e-cigarette or vaping associated lung injury or EVALI as it's known. And so the CDC, after looking at this, of the 39 deaths that they had looked at, 29 of these individuals actually showed this vitamin E acetate uh, in the lung aspirates they actually identif- took a look at. And when they're looking at it, they're saying, you know, it's not really like an oily substance or anything like that, but for whatever reason, it appears that once this is in the lungs, it prevents the lungs from going through a normal healing process, triggers a episode then where they get into this respiratory distress type syndrome and subsequent death in many of them. Okay, spell Evali for us. E-V-A-L-I. Okay, and tell us again what it stands for. So the E is e-cigarettes, the V is for vaping, and the A-L-I is associated lung injury. Wow. Okay, so sometimes, like, there's things going on in the world, Brett, that, like, like you guys now have a new acronym for something. We out here in the, you know, in the big wide world um, will then read in a headline. The CDC finally conf- confirms that e-valley is caused by illegal THC, not legal vapes. And there's so many words in there. My grandmother would have not even, like, she would not even understood that headline. She wouldn't yeah. have understood E-Valley. E- in fact, we wouldn't have understood that a week ago. Um, illegal THC, she would not have known what that, what that is, and I'm going to let you address that. And then, um, and then the whole concept of legal vapes, she wouldn't have known what vapes were. So talk sure. about THC and talk about legal and illegal THC. Sure. So THC is the chemical compound that is the main psychoactive component of marijuana. And so that is isolated and put into solution. Now, what's interesting is they will take that vitamin E acetate, that thing that the CDC just identified, and it is then used to dilute the liquid in e-cigarettes or vaping products that contain that psychoactive component of marijuana that we know as THC. So that's where you started getting this alphabet soup of uh, medicine, but the THC is that component of marijuana that causes the the, the hallucinative and psychoactive processes. Uh, But the vitamin E piece, we would not necessarily have known about until they did these studies, which is the diluent that they're using to go ahead and take 
the psychoactive piece and allow it to stay into that solution. And it's highly varied. So people are making this at different compounds, different concentrations. As we talked about before, the amount of THC exposure that is coming from vaping and e-cigarettes is profoundly higher than someone who historically was smoking marijuana uh, in its natural form. And so we continue to get into all of these issues related to toxicology and the pharmacology where the body cannot tolerate it. Hmm. Um, okay, I would like for you to simply um, make an appeal for the way that you would hope that people listening would treat their bodies as temples of the Holy Spirit. Like make that appeal not only as a doctor but as a Christian. Absolutely. I mean, our bodies have been given to us, you know, by our Creator, and we have been given an opportunity to serve tremendously, uh, not just those around us, but in a, in, in a directed path. And to do so, we are tasked to do so in a way that we live abundantly and we live to the full. And when we start to do things that abuse our body, whether this be by chemical, whether this be by um, not maintaining a process of moderation in healthcare related to fitness, related to eating, related to even things like rest and related to just exposures with individuals, we divert from the path for which we're created. You know, our job as physicians is to get people in that balance point and identify that. And, you know, when you look at issues related to smoking, especially when we look at e-cigarettes and vaping, you don't know what you're putting into your body. And the vast majority of what it is is a toxin. It's a chemical that was never intended to be there. And so when we have this, all we're doing is poisoning our body and in doing so, taking away the opportunity that we have to impact other flies. Okay, so many other headlines that you and I could talk about today, um, but thank you. I think we should just leave it there because that that is, um, I think that's the message, right? We We are stewards of something given to us, and these bodies are not our own. This life is not our own, um, and how we treat these bodies, how we steward them, what we put into our mouths, certainly what we inhale into our lungs, what we allow to come into our eyes and ears in terms of our consumption of social media or the time we spend in front of screens. I mean, on and on and on. The conversations that we're having in the culture today are ultimately conversations about how we are going to steward these temples, these physical temples that God has given us for his own glory and for the advancement of his own kingdom purposes in this generation. And so I I appreciate that we can have conversations about the places and spaces where things are going wrong and people are mistreating their bodies. But I always think that the encouragement needs to be on the, you know, on the, on the positive side of what am I doing today to make this body um, a more, uh, a better place, right, for the Holy Spirit to dwell and a better vessel through which God's kingdom's purposes could be advanced in this generation. Absolutely. And I think one of the greatest challenges we have is every day it's our job to speak life, whether we're a physician or others around us. And in doing so, especially with these difficult topics, recognize that issues of dependency, uh, whether it be chemical or otherwise, is tremendous. And it's our job as Christian believers to come alongside people and support them and help them to get in the right direction. So speaking life and having difficult conversations, especially around the medical challenges that people face, is an essential piece every day. So we so appreciate you helping us do that when you come and talk with us. But we thank thank, uh, the Christian Medical and Dental Association for what they're doing every single day. Folks can check it out at cmda.org. Dr. Brett Nick, thank you so much for being with us again. Thanks, Carmen. Have a great Tasty Tuesday. Yeah, Tasty Tuesday. We'll be right back. There are lots 
of couples. There are lots of Christians struggling with childlessness. Um, And maybe the word struggle is not even accurate. Um, Many, many Christians, Christian couples living in the reality that they do not have children and they will not have children of their own. It is not something that we often talk about. It is not a subject in the church that we um, that we openly discuss. Um, and when it is openly discussed, it is often in the context of praying for, you know, God to send a baby, for a womb to be opened. But, you know, that is not always God's will and that is not always God's way. And so what does it look like for Christians to be really open and honest about childlessness? Um, Sheridan Voicy has been uh, with me here on the program before. We have talked about um, the the reality of uh, the resurrection year, which is uh, his story, the wife, uh, the, his story alongside his wife in terms of the newness of life that God uh, is giving them. But it is um, a complex story. And Sheridan recently posted um, uh, a blog that I just felt like tills this soil again in a new way and reminds me that this is a conversation we are not done having. It cannot be until we as the church become a community that includes people of really every life experience, including Christian couples who are childless. Um, Until we figure out how to be that community, we are going to leave our brothers and sisters suffering um, in, in a kind of pain that many Christian families don't know. So that conversation is up next with Sheridan Voicy. We'll be right back. Christian parents long to instill the same principles and values in their children that their parents passed on to them. But Christian character doesn't happen by accident. In fact, it takes a lot of intentional work. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. Parents may pass on physical traits like height and hair color, but there's no gene for good character. And in most cases, character traits are caught, not taught. So if you want your children to be compassionate, model it yourself. If you want them to be truthful, always tell the truth. And if you want them to be respectful, start by showing respect first. And if you believe your family is lacking important values, start with the only person you can readily change. It's yourself. Parenting Teens isn't for the faint of heart. Learn about Mark's upcoming events and check out his latest resources online at parentingtodaysteens.org. Boise is back with me today. You can find um, him and you can find his books. And in fact, right now you can get a free ebook, Five Practices for a Resilient Life. If you just go to SheridanVoise.com, Voise is V-O-Y-S-E-Y. Sheridan, welcome back. Oh, great to talk to you, Carmen. Always is. It is um uh it is a day of wonderful accents. I know your friend Andy Bannister was on. Well, I mean, it was a recorded interview, but uh, but I had him on earlier. So it's the day of the beloved accents. It's a British takeover. Uh, I love it. And Andy is incredible value. And I heard a bit of your interview with him and, you know, wonderful stuff as well. So, yeah, there are some people uh, in the UK, in Australia, 
and some of us who live in between who um, uh, are enjoying seeing God do some things over here and we're sharing it with the world. So I was really, really joyed to hear you talking to Andy as well. Well, thank you. Um, thank you so much, as always, for your willingness to be so public um, about your life. Um, so uh, let me just allow you to retell your story, um, because I think that is the best um, entry point into this conversation. I obviously read um, the post uh, about how we can do better, right? Uh, the, mm-hmm. the, the the world really wants us as Christians to do better on this front, and we must. Um, it is, it, I took it as a post that is really about the calling to real community, the calling to really be the family of faith in the midst of childlessness for Christian couples. And so uh, share with us, reshare your story um, as an entry point into this conversation about how we can do better. Yes. Yeah, so year 2000, Merrin, my wife and I, we decide that's when we'll start trying for a family. And we didn't realize that uh, after the first, the second, the third month of being unsuccessful, which we thought was normal, that then the journey for us would go four, five, six months, eight, nine, ten months and longer trying to start a family to the point where it was actually a decade for us. And during that decade, we tried uh, everything that we felt comfortable trying. We tried uh, special diets. We tried healing prayer, of course, because we're committed believers. Uh, we tried uh, – we knocked on the door of adoption. We actually spent nearly three years investing our lives in the Australian adoption process. We were living in Sydney at that stage. Uh, we tried IVF for the first time in 2006. It didn't work. We gave it a break. We came back to it. In uh, 2010, we did as many rounds, we thought, as we it would take to get our dreamt-of child. And right at the end of 2010, 10 years after that original decision, uh, we had one embryo left to transfer from the last IVF uh, round. And we had by that stage decided, you know, if this embryo doesn't result in a viable pregnancy, then we're just going to get on with our lives as a childless couple. We had just given it so long. And, you know, would you believe it? Uh, that was the embryo on which we got the uh, magic phone call from the IVF clinic telling us that we were pregnant. And there was jubilation amongst our family and friends who had walked with us for such a long time. And then on Christmas Eve, we got another phone call from the IVF clinic saying, we're so sorry, you're not pregnant. And on that cruel twist. We then brought our uh, dream of having a child to an end and started our lives again, really. Um, That really was the precursor for us leaving Sydney, moving over here to Oxford in the United Kingdom and Merrin getting a job at Oxford University and and my life and ministry taking an incredibly different uh, turn than what it had been before. And I'm glad to be able to say to you and to our our listeners uh, that God has redeemed our story. He's turned it into fruitful service, meaningful service, and service I never would have expected. Uh, But that's not to say that there aren't still difficulties. And there aren't still days sometimes where, you know, sometimes I I describe it as having a wound that is now healed, but sometimes somebody will bump into you and you'll be reminded that you do have still a wound. So that's, that's the long and the short of our childlessness story. Sheridan, um, one of the things that I just so deeply appreciate um, about you and Marin is that you are the one um, that is sort of the public face of this conversation, because I do not think um, that we often consider this um, from a dad's perspective, right? From, uh-huh. 
from the male perspective. Um, and so I think that that is a huge part of the contribution that you bring to this conversation. The other part that I think is um, that I love about your honesty, you you guys are very forthright about, you know, there are real questions that those of us who do not have um, those of us who do not have children, there are questions that we ask where, you know, th- there's a little bit of, um, you know, we go right to the edge of judging God. And and I think that that's mm-hmm. an honest, like that is honest for us to say as mature Christians, that we go right to the edge of judging God and saying, why does that person have a baby? They are not capable of raising a baby. Why does that person have have kids? And I don't. Like, and I think it is it is refreshing that you are honest about those questions and then um, and then lead people maybe down the path of that conversation. I was just actually in the United States just a couple of weeks ago speaking at Cornerstone University in Grand Rapids, and I was given the text of Job 42 to speak out of, and I hadn't really looked into Job for a while. And so obviously I looked at the whole book, not just that last chapter. And that, just what you've explained there, uh, Carmen, is exactly what Job goes through, and it's exactly what so many childless couples go through as well. There is that, hang on a sec, hang on. I was expecting that since we're faithful people, God would bless us with something that people who aren't faithful, uh, people who will abuse their children, they're blessed with, and that's a child. How does that work? Why is it that people who will do the wrong thing with this amazing blessing get that blessing and the people who wouldn't don't? And it just takes us to the very edge of, just like you said, this this broken world and often indeed to the edge of blasphemy, just like Job, where we say, you know, God, okay, I mean, Job's finest hour in uh, in that whole, and I'm, I mean that in the English sense, I mean that uh, sarcastically, you know, Job's uh, finest hour was when he subpoenaed God and he basically said, well, God, it's now time for you to come and answer to me. I want you to come into the court of law. I want you to give a written statement as to uh, why you're doing this to me. And then, um, you know, maybe we'll, we'll hear your side of the story. And of course, all of that is unraveled when God uh, finally breaks through into the conversation out of the cloud and uh, Job finally has all of his measly words completely silenced because he's just had a revelation of God without answers. I think that is the great challenge is that, yes, it is an unjust world. It's an upside down world. It's a broken world. Some people who would be very, very good parents don't get the child. Some people who are very bad parents do. And I think this side of heaven, we won't fully know why. But I'm grateful that God can take those experiences and he can turn them into service, not just to other childless couples, by the way, but to people who have found themselves single when they always dreamt of being married or uh, wanted a particular career and that hasn't turned out. Or maybe they did get the career and they weren't able to keep it or something. Uh, That's what we've been able to see God recycle our suffering into to bring some hope and maybe some wisdom and at very the very least some camaraderie with those people who are who are wrestling with life not going as they planned. Sheridan and Marin uh, Voicey tell their story. Um, Resurrection Year is um, probably my favorite of their books, but The Making of Us is excellent as well. It includes the creed. I think we talked about that the last time you were on, and I just love that. Um, And so uh, when we come back from the break, I want to talk about, you know, people really do hunger for hope on this subject and the hope that 
I think we must be offering in the church is the reality of a family that is not the way we maybe have been led to think about it, um, that there is a family of faith that is for people who are single and never going to be married. There is a family for people who are married and are never going to have children. There is a family. Um, my my mother and my brothers are those who do the will of the Father. Like, that is how this is supposed to work. But that is not what we often put forward in the church as the ideal. And so I want to talk about that when we come back. How do we do better being the real community, the true community that Jesus envisioned in the church of Jesus Christ today in the world? I'm going to continue my conversation in just a moment with Sheridan Voicy. You can find him at SheridanVoicy.com. Continuing my conversation with Sheridan Voicy, you can find him at SheridanVoicy.com. We are talking about childlessness. We're talking about the reality of living as Christians who are not um, given the blessing of of biological progeny. Like we are, um, we are living um, in. I mean, it's true for me as well. I mean, I'm living in the last generation of my own genetics, maybe is one way to think about that. Um, and so we, uh, we, we read passages of Scripture maybe a little bit differently. We hear and experience things at church a little bit differently uh, than those who have children. And part of this conversation is helping those who have children understand those of us who do not. And so, Sheridan, talk a little bit about how we as the church can actually become the kind of community that Jesus envisioned. Yeah, well, let's talk about the need. Um, What I have discovered is that, unfortunately, we have a lot of work to do in this area. And it's not just simply talking about churches here in the United Kingdom or in Australia, but also in the United States. Whenever I go and speak, I also hear the same kind of thing happening. I was just on the BBC just the other day, and I was being interviewed alongside a researcher about this topic. I was able to bring a really positive message, actually, is that, you know, without the church, uh, Meryn and I would have found it very difficult to have walked through our journey. And we were we were blessed with some really good community. And when people say, oh, you know, did you have Job's friends around you giving terrible platitudes and <laughs> um, strange theologies as to why you may not have children? We did, but we didn't have a lot of that. On the whole, our support was brilliant. We had good quality people who just embraced us as we were. Uh, Sometimes the days were bad. Sometimes we didn't even want to pray about the situation. And we had good, solid Christian friends who understood that and said, you know what, we will be your prayer for you in that moment when you can't pray or don't want to pray because it feels like all the hopes get stirred up again. And after 10 years, you actually psychologically, it's hard to deal with those hopes when the next month they might crash down with disappointment. On that same radio program, then, this researcher was then invited on. Her name is Dr. Dawn Llewellyn from Chester University, and she had this research that she had done into childless couples and how well they fit into churches. And unfortunately, she had an incredibly different set of stories to to tell. And basically, out of her research, she's found that childless couples struggle to fit into churches because, to some degree, because of a good thing. We emphasize the nuclear family. We emphasize it in our sermons, in our programs, in our small group structures. Uh, That's wonderful. 
The problem is when we emphasize that to the detriment of a biblical theology of family, which is actually much broader than the nuclear family, then it becomes very difficult for childless couples to fit in. Because where do you fit in? Particularly if you're a childless woman, you think about it, where do you get to connect deeply with the church? Normally, the groups are mums and toddlers groups or mums and kids groups. And what happens if you don't have children? So you can't join that. Well, the other group that's very popular is the senior women's group. Well, you're too young for that. All your friends are then all getting together in these other groups. It's hard for you to get connected with that. It's hard for you to resonate with that, especially when you go to a group and the conversation is all about child rearing. So where do you fit? And so particularly childless women struggle. Childless men also struggle because sometimes we have a, quote, biblical masculinity, which actually isn't as biblical as we'd like to think it is. So if we emphasize things like I saw a pastor just the other day tweet out this, he said, uh, you know, the, the biblical calling of a man is to grow up, get married and have children. Hashtag man up. Now, I get the idea. He was wanting men to take responsibility. But the fact is, there's a lot of us for whom life just simply doesn't work out that way. And a lot of faithful men for whom that just doesn't work out. Where do they that fit then when they can't connect in with the, the dad's groups and things? So we need to go back to just what you've intimated there, Carmen. We need to go back to Matthew chapter 12, where Jesus has this experience. Some people come and they say, look outside, your mother and your brothers are waiting for you. And Jesus says, well, hang on, who is my mother and my brothers? He wasn't, of course, in any way shunning Mary, shunning his brothers or his sisters, but he was making a point, looking at all his disciples sitting around him and saying, look, these, these, is my, these people, these are my people, my mothers, and my brothers and my sisters. And so there we have a definition of family that is far beyond bloodline. It is based on faith. Now, when we get that right, Carmen, we give the world a huge gift because there's a lot of childless couples, a lot of single men and women who are dying to be part of that kind of community that is not based on having progeny. It's based on being the people of God where Jesus is the center. He's the one we have in contact and connection. He's the one we have in common. And that brings us together to talk about a whole heap of other things beyond children. Uh, when we get that right, boy, it's a real gift. It really is. I want to continue this conversation um, over the course of time. I, I feel very confident that you and I have just begun to till the soil of uh, of a conversation that I know is is in the hearts of many who are listening right now. While we've been talking, Sheridan, um, a listener named Julie has, you know, has reached out on our text line and says, eight years into my marriage, a pastor just asked me straight out, how long have you been married? And I said, eight years. And he said, eight years and no children? Like it was some kind of proof that uh, that uh, I was either a Christian or not. She's exactly yeah. right. We have to do better. Um, we have to learn how to you know, value our brothers and sisters in Christ, um, married, unmarried, uh, with or without children, like that we've got to do better. So thank you so much for helping us start the conversation. Thank you for having it very publicly. I'm going to invite people to check out what you're doing at SheridanVoice.com and particularly get the free ebook that's available right now, Five Practices for a Resilient Life. Sheridan, thank you so much. Always good to talk to you, Carmen. Thank you. Likewise. We'll be right back. Let's be gentle with each other today. Let's be encouraging one another today in the Lord. Uh, let, let us live in such a way that helps other people to taste and see that the Lord is good. 
Today is Tasty Tuesday. I have declared it to be so. Uh, And so taste and see today that the Lord is good. May Christ be made known to others as you break bread with them. Have a great day and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.